listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. We're going to continue today. Uh, This is week two in the series that Pastor Rocky kicked off last week called The Missing Peace, P-E-A-C-E, talking about Shabbat, the Sabbath peace of God. Uh, Many of you know that we're currently in our month of Sabbath here at DCC, a season of rest from uh, a lot of our normal church activities. And so let's get right into this today. Go with me, if you will, to Psalm 37. We're going to start in the 37th division of Psalms. And we're going to look at verse 23. This is written by David, and I'm going to read this out of the God's Word translation. Psalm 37, verse 23, and it says, A person's steps are directed by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. And there's a lot to this verse, but two things that I got out of this that I want to point out. First, it says that a person's steps are directed, which suggests to me that the person that they're talking about, that David is talking about, that person is carrying out the directions that they were given. Because it's one thing for someone to give you directions, but it's something totally different for you to actually follow the directions that have been given. That is two separate things. When I was about three years old, my dad had a Doberman Pinscher named Caesar. And what happens with a lot of Doberman Pinschers, they are born with floppy ears and a long tail. And so the owners, what they usually do is they will have the ears trimmed down and the tail trimmed down. Uh, Some of them, they call it cropping or clipping. And so they do that for various reasons. And so my dad had that done to Caesar. Now, me being three years old, I didn't know anything about surgical procedures. All I knew was I saw Caesar had these bandages on his ears. And so my dad was telling me about this. What I would do as three years old, I would sit on top of Caesar and I would tug on his ears. Just me being so curious, I feel somebody's judging me. I was three years old. Give me a break. And so I would play with his ears. I would tug on his ears. And obviously, him having surgery on his ears, it caused him a lot of pain. I mean, to the point that Caesar really wanted to bite me, like bad. And so my dad would walk in, and he'd be like, BJ, don't do that. Stop doing that. Don't do that to Caesar. And and my dad said that Caesar would look at my dad and be like, get your boy. (laughs) Because I'm about to kill this kid. But But because of the respect and the love that Caesar had for my dad, Caesar would just sit and take it. He would just let me just tug on his ears no matter how much pain that he was in. And so he was a puppy at the time when this, when this happened. And so for the next two years, Caesar grew to pretty much full size. And so my dad would do things like take him out for walks. And sometimes my dad would put a leash on Caesar and walk him around. But sometimes my dad would just open up the door and let Caesar just run out. And again, because of the respect that Caesar had for my dad, Caesar made sure not to run away too far, too far. He made sure to keep an eye shot of my dad. So he had this respect for my dad to make sure he didn't run away and go too far. But my dad made sure to tell me, BJ, you don't let Caesar out of the house. You do not open the door and let Caesar out of the house. One reason probably because Caesar had more respect for my dad than he had for me. And so me being the obedient, angelic child that I was, I let Caesar out of the house, (laughs) and Caesar ran away. And this is one of the earliest memories that I have in my life. I remember the day that he ran away. 
I remember standing on the porch and calling out for him, calling Caesar. And I could see him in the street. He was about 200 feet from me. And I could see him. And I remember standing there and calling for him. And Caesar, when I called his name, Caesar looked back at me and took off running. He just kept running the other way. <laughs> he was probably like, this is my chance to escape this crazy kid. <laughs> and he was like, I'm out of here. And he was gone for about a week, for a whole week. And eventually we got him back. And Caesar ended up staying with us for the rest of his life. But during that week that Caesar was gone, my dad told me that he was hurt about that. He was hurt because he loved his dog. He loved Caesar. And so it caused him pain that Caesar was not there for that week. So my dad went through a moment of pain simply because I did not follow directions. And the pain that my dad went through is less than a fraction of what God deals with when he sees us not following directions. Because the scripture says that when we do follow directions, when we do follow God's directions, that he delights in that. He, it brings him joy when we do that. So that's one thing that I got out of that scripture was that it's one thing to get directions, but it's another thing to actually follow directions. The second thing I got out of this verse is that when it says a person's steps are directed by the Lord. And one thing I've learned is that God can not only direct your steps, but God can direct your stops. And both are needed. We need both of those things active in our lives. As I continue to grow up, uh, one thing that I really enjoy doing, uh, and even to this day, I loved as a kid playing video games. And not only just going to the mall or to the arcade to play video games, but when I was able to get something where I could play video games at home, I loved playing those video games. I loved playing things like Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and uh, I'll, I'll test some of y'all's knowledge, Frogger. And, and, and I'm going to really test your knowledge now. Tecmo Bowl. Come on, somebody. Before Madden, it was Tecmo Bowl all day. <laughs> And if you had Bo Jackson, then it was a wrap. So I enjoyed playing those games. And another game that I enjoyed playing was this thing called Pole Position. Pole Position was a race car game where you would sit in front of the screen, and it gave you the point of view like you were sitting in a race car and you were racing against other drivers. But as much as I love playing that game, it's one thing to play a video game where you're looking at a screen at something like that, but it's something else when you're literally sitting in a race car and about to race in the Indianapolis 500. Those are two completely different things. And one big difference, one difference between those two things is that when you're really in a race car about to run and about to drive in a real race, one of the differences is in a real race, you have this thing called pit stops. And pit stops are in place for a lot of different reasons because they understand that they can't continue the whole race at top speeds, on one tank of gas, on the same set of tires, without needing to address other issues that may come up along the way. So throughout the race, they have pit stops in place for various reasons. But three main reasons they have pit stops, they have pit stops to refuel, repair, and refresh. Now, because more wear and tear on the tires, that equals less speed in the long run, so the pit stop will be to the driver's benefit because if they continue to just go, go, go and never have that pit stop without stopping, then they're going to go slower. And ultimately, they'll be less productive and they'll have less of a chance of actually winning. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, you want to win in life? You want to win. Okay, like 
Ten of you. All right. Praise the Lord. More than the first service. So, and so one reason that God has established this pit stop of Sabbath. That's why he's established this, this thing called Sabbath. So that for one, we can refuel. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There was a time where I was driving this car where the gas gauge was all messed up. And so I would have to guesstimate sometimes how much gas I really had. So if it said it was on E, I figured out that I still had a few miles that I could go before actually having to go to a gas station. But one time I misread the gauge. And so when I was at a stop sign and, or I was at a stoplight and when the light turned green, my car said no. And so it ran out of gas and I was stuck at the intersection. And so I needed some help to be able to push the car into a nearby parking spot. And there are some people here today, there's some people here that's, that I believe that is watching as well that you're misreading the way that I did. You're misreading what you need in this particular season. You're weary and you're burdened. But two words that are the opposite of weary and burdened is energy and relieved. And God is saying that when you are weary and burdened, what, he just, what we just read in Matthew chapter 11, when you're weary and burdened, when you're running on fumes, come to him, enter into his Sabbath so he can relieve you and re-energize you. Another thing with uh, having this time of Sabbath is a time where we can experience repair. It's a time to repair. And I can personally testify of this because a synonym for the word repair is to mend, M-E-N-D. And a definition for mend is to repair something that is broken or damaged. My family and I, when we first started coming to DCC back in 2016, our first, our first Sunday coming here to this church on a regular basis was the first Sunday in July. So the first Sunday that we were in Sabbath month here in this church was the first Sunday that we started coming here. And I can, I can tell you, at that time, my wife and I, we were broken and damaged because of some things that we went through. But because of the love and support of so many people in this church, we were able to start that mending process. We were able to begin the process of being mended, of being repaired. And it's something I know for myself and my wife is something we will be forever grateful for. So that's another thing with the Sabbath is that it is a time where we can be, uh, we can experience a time of repair. Sabbath is also a time where we can be refreshed. Exodus chapter 31, talking about the Sabbath, God himself says in verse 17, it says, he says, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. One definition I saw for the word Sabbath, it means cease from working, and it can be used to refuel, repair, and refresh God's people. So even though it is an Old Testament law, it is still good for us to observe today in the present times. Now, when I say the word law, for a lot of people, that word law has a negative connotation to it, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but one reason why it has a negative connotation when I say law is because a lot of us, when we were growing up as kids, we lived in a house where you had rules that you had to abide by. Your family had rules in place. And for a lot of us as kids, we didn't like the rules. And we didn't agree with the rules. 
And so that's something that's carried on because as a kid, I know there's certain rules that I had to, had to live by when I was in, uh, growing up in my house. And some of them I thought was just plain silly. And I didn't understand why I had to do them. And even to this day, I've noticed as I read of certain laws that certain places have in place, some of them seem kind of silly. For example, there's a law that I was reading about in a place called Rehoboth, Delaware. In Rehoboth, Delaware, it says that it's illegal to whisper in church because it is seen as disturbing the act of worship. I'd be getting locked up every week <laughs> on purpose, like just making noise to see if somebody's going to arrest me for making noise in church. Bad BJ. In Gainesville, Georgia, it's forbidden to eat fried chicken with a knife and a fork. I actually agree with that one. <laughs> this was passed in 1961, and though it's not taken literally and rarely enforced, a police chief told a 91-year-old woman, so forget respecting your elders, this police chief told a 91-year-old woman that it was against city ordinance to eat fried chicken with anything other than your fingers. And I'm sure that lady showed him a couple of fingers after he said all that. <laughs> In North Carolina, drunk bingo is banned. <laughs> Designated bingo halls are strictly forbidden from selling alcohol, which I kind of get because once you get drunk, it's hard for you to spell bingo anyway, so that causes a lot of problems. So these and many other laws, they sound silly to a lot of us. And listen, guys, to the world, God's laws sound silly. But just like the purpose of man-made laws is to help people second-guess before doing something wrong, God's law was put in place to help us second-guess before doing something wrong. So as crazy as some laws may seem, their intention is, or at least should be, to protect us. My wife, Tequila, and I, we have three kids, uh, two sons and a daughter, and we have rules in place for our kids. And so they've grown up in a household where there are certain rules that they have to abide by if they want to continue living in our house. And so one of the rules that we have in place is our kids have chores to do. They're responsible for taking care of certain chores around the house. Because for years, I've talked to parents who would tell me, and these are parents who have preteens and teenagers, and the parents would talk about how tired they are. I'm talking the parents. The parents are so tired and they're so exhausted because they have to clean up after their kids all the time and they have to cook all the kids' meals and they have to drive their kids everywhere and they're always doing everything for their kids. And I'm like, so your kids' limbs don't work? Because if my kids are able to do these things, I'm not talking about if a child is, if a preteen or a teen is not able to do those things. That's something totally different. But if my kids are able to do those things, then Tequila and I have trained them to be able to do those things, to do those things. So our kids are responsible, and you can take this or leave it, our kids are responsible for things like they wash and dry their own clothes. Our kids, as far as food, Tequila is the chef in the house, so she does the majority of the cooking. But if worse comes to worse, our kids know how to cook at least well enough that they don't starve to death. Our kids, they also have nights assigned to them to clean the kitchen. Our kids, they've all known while they were in school to do their, own, to do their homework first before they go play. 
My sons, they've grown up helping me with yard work and fixing things around the house. Actually, the first job they ever had was working with Mark Allen, who's one of our administrative council members, who has a lawn service care, a lawn care business, a uh, lawn care uh, company. And so by the time my boys got to him, they had had years of experience doing that kind of stuff. My daughter, she helps my wife with cleaning around the house. We tell them and we expect them to keep their rooms clean without us telling them to do it. You can't win them all. <laughs> but they're actually doing much better at that. I am pleasantly surprised at how well, how much better they are doing at that. And a big reason these rules are in place is for one, to help them to develop a work ethic. Because I want to protect them from becoming lazy like I was when I was a kid. But also it's to protect them from growing up expecting people to always do everything for them. Because trust me, from experience, I'm telling you, you do not want your kids growing up thinking that way. So we have different rules in place to help our children to grow in every area of their lives. And by the grace of God, it's working. We can see emotionally, academically, physically, that they are a better version of Tequila and I when we were their age. And from the bottom of my heart, I am sincerely proud of them. I couldn't be more proud of them. They are truly a blessing to us. Another rule that we have in our home is that in January, every year, we have a big family meeting. And with this family meeting, the purpose of it is to look back and to look ahead. And we usually have this meeting after the church's 21-day uh, corporate fast, a uh, time of fasting and prayer in January. It gives me time to be able to hear from God as far as the direction God has for our family for the upcoming year and, and things that he's wanting to accomplish through our family. But that meeting is not just a time of me casting vision to my wife and kids, even though that's a part of it, but it's also a time to hear from my wife. It's also a time to hear from our kids, to give them a voice, to be able to hear their heart, to be, able to, give, uh, to be able to get their feedback on how they feel about certain things. So with this rule of an annual meeting, there's still a level of freedom to express themselves without limiting their communication and their development. In the same way that parents who truly love their children do not put rules just to punish their kids or make them feel bound, God, being a good, good father, did not put the law in place to bind us. He put the law in place to bless us. So since we're known, our family is known as the Vaden Nation, we call our annual meeting the State of the Nation. <laughs> and during this annual meeting, we do two main things at the State of the Nation. Number one, we look back over the year to celebrate the things that the Lord has done in our lives in the previous year. And then number two, we set goals on the things that we want to accomplish in the upcoming year so we can believe God together for those things to come to pass. And this reminds me of two main reasons for the Sabbath being established. The first one, let's look in the book of Exodus. If you will, turn to Exodus. We're going to look in chapter 20. Exodus 20. And this is one of the places where the Ten Commandments are listed. Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9, we're going to look at 8 through 11. So verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it talks about remembering the Sabbath. So one thing this tells me is that if we're being told to remember it, then what it suggests to me is that it's possible to forget it. Because just because something is important doesn't mean we'll always remember it. One thing that I like to do in my house is I always like to be the last one to go to bed that goes to bed in my house. So when my wife and kids, when they're in their separate rooms and they're getting ready for bed and go to sleep for the night, I like to be able to walk around the house and just make sure the house is secure. So I walk around and check locks and things like that. And so one thing that I do, and I'm not saying this is right, but one thing I do is that, say I'm looking at the front door of our house and I look and see it's got a deadbolt and it's got the doorknob with a lock. And so I see the deadbolt is in the locked position. And so I'll twist the doorknob to make sure the doorknob is locked. Then I'll unlock the doorknob and twist it and make sure that the deadbolt is working. Then I'll lock it back up and then I'll start going upstairs and then I'll stop and turn around and go back and check it again. Does anybody else do stuff like that? Thank you. God bless you. Even if you're just raising your hand because you feel sorry for me. Thank you. I'm not alone. And my wife will tell you, I do stuff like if we're leaving somewhere, like last night we went out. So if I'm backing out of the driveway then I'm constantly looking at the garage door to make sure that it's shutting while I'm backing out. And then as I'm getting ready to go forward, getting ready to drive forward, I'll still look at the garage door to make sure that it went down all the way. And then before I get to the first stop sign, I turn around and look back. I don't even trust the rearview mirror. I just turn around and look back just to make sure that the garage door is staying down. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bad memory or OCD, or something else, or all of the above. But it's just interesting to me how the mind works and the things that we remember and the things that we forget. And so this commandment that we just read about, about Sabbath, is uh, the longest of all the other nine commandments. And maybe that's so we'll, it will get our attention. And we're going to look more at this in a moment. But first, let's go to Deuteronomy. If you will, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So as you're reading this, you're probably thinking like I was, that that sounds pretty similar, like word for word, to what we read in Exodus. But a big difference is in verse 12, it says, observe. Whereas before in Exodus, it said, remember. 
And so when it talks about in Exodus about remembering the Sabbath, rabbis take this to mean that we are to use this as a time of looking back at what Sabbath has done for us and what God has done for us. But then when we just read in in Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe the Sabbath. And rabbis have determined that this means we should look ahead at what God is about to do and what the Sabbath will do for us. So these two passages are not contradictory. They're not conflicting with each other, but they suggest that we should do both. That it's good to spend the first part of Sabbath looking back at how we've been blessed through participating in it and spend the second half of Sabbath looking ahead to what God has in store for us for the next one, for the next Sabbath. Next month will be the anniversary of the day that I accepted Jesus as my Lord, as Lord of my life, when I gave him control of my life. And I often say that before that, I had asked Jesus to save me. I had no problem with asking Jesus to be my Savior, but I had not yet asked him to be my Lord, to give him control of my life. I had not done that for, it took about a year to do that. And what it's like for me, it's like if you were on a road trip with your best friend, And you got to a point maybe halfway through the trip where you started getting tired and you know you needed some rest. And so you looked at your best friend and said, hey, I need to rest. And so I'm giving you the keys. You now have control. I'm going to rest and I trust you that you're going to take us the rest of the way. You're going to take us home. That's what it was like for me because I needed rest. I got to a point in my life where I got tired of running from God's will. I got tired of fighting the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I needed rest. That's what it was like for me. And so one day in August, I got to a point where I was tired of living a double life. And basically I said, Jesus, I'm all in. And this was a huge turning point for me. And I felt the weight of that decision because at that moment, I knew what all I was giving up. So I remember saying, as disrespectful as this sounds, I remember praying, Jesus, you better be real. I'm like threatening him, first of all. And then second, I'm praying to him and still questioning if he's real or not. So that makes a lot of sense. And since then, what I've done personally is I've put together what I call my own spiritual resume. And it's documentation of testimonies that have taken place in my life. So things like healing in my body, as well as healing in the lives of family and friends. Testimonies like seeing my mom and dad rededicate their lives to the Lord and other family members giving their lives to the Lord and living for Jesus, even to this day. Testimonies like financial breakthroughs that have taken place in my life. I document all that stuff. So things like financial breakthroughs, such as uh, when my wife and I, when Tequila and I got married, we didn't have a whole lot money-wise. Matter of fact, our first Christmas together, our our Christmas tree was plastic, and it was about this big, because that's all we could afford. And after about a year, we got to a point where we started looking for a house, started shopping around for a house, uh, for our first house. And the problem was the realtor told me that I had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of unpaid doctor bills. And so my credit was all jacked up. And so the realtor was like, Mr. Vaden, we cannot move forward until these bills are taken care of. And so some time went by and the realtor reached back out to us and said, all right, Mr. Vaden, we can go ahead and move forward with the process of you getting the house since these bills have been taken care of. The problem was I didn't take care of it. 
I didn't know how these bills got taken care of. And at the time, I was a personal banker, and so I dealt with loans, I dealt with credit reports on a regular basis. And so I was used to seeing things like if a bill gets paid, then on the credit report, the bill is still there. Just on the side, it says paid. And the realtor said, I've never seen this before. And when she told me, I'd never seen it before either, because on the credit report, she said, the bills are gone. There's no evidence that you ever had any bills in the first place. They are totally erased from your credit report. And so time after time, testimony after testimony, I've written these things down, and it's not to brag on me at all, because listen, I am nothing. I am absolutely nothing without Jesus. So it's more so to brag on him and what he has done in and through my life. And as disrespectful as I was at that time, Christ has honored what I said. Over and over again, he has proved himself to be real in my life. And that resume does a couple of things for me. One, it reinforces my faith by reminding me of all the times that the Lord has come through for me and others. And then two, it gives me something to look forward to because it shows that if he did it before, he can do it again. So that's what these scriptures are talking about. That's what the scriptures are talking about in Exodus and Deuteronomy. To look back and look ahead. And when we look back at God's goodness in the past and look ahead at what the Lord has in store for us, it strengthens our faith. That is a benefit of Sabbath. So what the enemy wants to do is he tries to attack our minds so that we won't remember, or if we try to look ahead, he'll try to get us distracted so that we're focusing on the wrong thing. The Bible talks about how there are these fiery darts that the enemy tries to use, and those fiery darts are aimed at our mind to get us off track. Because a lot of us, we've heard of this thing called connect the dots. But Satan likes to do this thing called connect the thoughts, where you can be thinking of one thing, but before you know it, have you ever done that? Maybe you've tried to you thought of something, and then in a matter of seconds, you're like, how do I start thinking about that? And that especially happens when we try to pray sometimes. You could be looking at the King James Bible, and you could be looking at where Jesus is trying to teach the disciples how to pray, and you could uh, try to model that prayer for yourself. And so you start reading from the King James, and you start saying, you start praying for yourself. You start saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you get stuck on that word, hollowed. It sounds like Halloween. I mean, Halloween is coming up in a few months. I need to get ready for that. I think they're going to have a, a Halloween party at our job. They probably got some good costumes on Amazon that I could check out for Halloween. And they're going to have a lot of candy there. I'm going to need to go on a diet after, after this is over. So now you're thinking of candy. You're thinking of something totally different than what you started off praying about. These are little subtle things that the enemy tries to do to get us off track. A huge, and a huge reason why the enemy wants us to lose focus on the benefits of Sabbath is because he knows that there is life in the Sabbath. There's life in it. 
And that's the key that I pray that we all get out of this today, that there is life in the Sabbath. Exodus 35 verse 1 talks about the Sabbath and says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you. And when we read in Scripture of God commanding us something, commanding us to remember the Sabbath, commanding us to observe the Sabbath, we can look at the Sabbath as something that we have to do rather than something that we get to do. And that's where we need, we simply need a change of perspective. That's all we need. There was a time where, I'll never forget this, because this, this ended up being one of the best trips to a, a theme park that I've ever been on. So we were planning during a school day, I might help somebody out here. So during a school day, when all the kids were in school, we decided to go to Bush Gardens because we knew there wouldn't be a lot of kids there. And so me, my wife and I and some others, we're hitting the road to Tampa to go to Bush Gardens, and we hit this big traffic jam on the interstate on 75, gridlocked for miles and miles. And I don't know how long we were maybe stuck there. We were moving like two feet every 15 minutes or something stupid. And so we got to a point where we started talking among ourselves and we were like, hey, maybe we should just turn around and go back home and do something else. Because at this rate, it's going to be midnight before we get to Tampa. And so we decided we were just going to quit on going to Bush Gardens that day. So we decided we were going to turn around and go back home, come back here. And so I got on the ramp, got on the off ramp and turned left and I'm going across the bridge so I can be able to turn back around. And as I'm on the bridge, I look out into the interstate and I can see like half a mile down the road where the gridlock opened up and all the traffic started flowing. I never would have seen that while I was on the interstate. I never would have seen that on the level that I was on. But once I got to a higher level, then not only was I able to see my present situation, I was able to see down the road at what was about to happen. And the same way when we're in a situation, it's one thing for us to be caught up in what's going on around us. But if we take it to another level and start seeing things from God's perspective, then we can not only see our present situation, but we can also see how God is going to get us out of it. And we ended up having, like I said, it was like, I don't know if y'all remember that movie Vacation with Chevy Chase and all that, where they had the whole park to themselves. That's what it was like. That's what I'm saying. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me. And so when we stop looking at Sabbath from our level, when we start viewing it from God's level, which is a much higher level, then we can go to another level of life because our perspective has changed. I'm getting ready to close, but at the beginning of this lesson, I was talking about race cars. And something that I learned recently is that a driver can start a race and they can do their first initial laps before coming to the pit stop. And one thing I learned is that I was talking to a brother from our church who knows a lot about NASCAR and race car driving. And he was telling me, he said, BJ, that when cars go through those initial laps and then they go to the pit stop, there is time, there are times where the cars can actually come out of the pit stop even faster than they were before. So as fast as they were going before they came into the pit stop, that once they go into that pit stop, they can come out even faster. And that sounds like Sabbath to me. That you can be going round and round in circles, you can be dealing with so many things, 
But once you go to this pit stop called Sabbath that God has established, you can come out of that pit stop even better than you were before. Sabbath, it is a law, but it is also, there's also life in that law to help us be better and do better than we ever could without it. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.